You guys hungry for the Word of God today? Well, I want to invite you to open your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to do something interesting today. I'm going to read 1 through 7, and then throughout the message, I'm going to work my way backwards from 7 to 2. All right? So, an interesting way of expository preaching, but I'm going to do my best to try a new strategy. Is that okay for you guys? As I was reading it, it just came together that way. I was like, this seems like fun. And I'm sure you guys won't mind since you're my family, so you'll enjoy it and give me some good amens either way. Because we are in church, so we already have an excuse to be happy. So if you're happy, notify your face. Right? Put a smile on. You have a reason to be joyful. Jesus is alive. Amen? Everybody just say, Jesus, Jesus. Is, alive. is alive. See, that's a reason to be happy. Yeah. Amen. How many of you guys know that joy is not an emotion? Joy is a fruit. So if you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, then it is natural that you would be possessed and give off joy. So I'm happy. How many of you guys are in Isaiah chapter 9? We're going to read verse 1 through 7 together. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. This reminds me of the verse that Jenna read. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. We already got an amen. Come on. But in the latter time, (laughs) that was like a travail. That was like a... That was a groaning that could not be uttered. Oh. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness, everybody say, that's me, have seen a great light. Everybody say, that's Jesus. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, You have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, remember this because we're going to revisit this in just a moment. As on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Everybody, let's say that last title all together, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now you got to catch this last part. That the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Today I want to speak to you from the subject, His government is peace. His government is peace. So if you're taking notes, you can just write that at the top of the page. Let's pray and just bless our time in the study of Scripture. Lord, we thank you so much for the prophetic word that was given through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before you were born. God, we thank you for the testimony of truth. We thank you for the invitation to come as wise men and worship at the feet of Jesus, the Savior that's been given to us by the Father. Lord, we ask that you would anoint this word, that you would use this word to transform us into the image of Christ Jesus in a greater way. And if you're hungry for that, just say amen. 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 So I want to, like I said, do my best to go through this entire passage of Scripture. I know when you read it for the first time, it almost feels like poetry, and truly it is, because the Old Testament prophets were oftentimes artists. They were poets. The way they articulated prophetic words, prophecies, was in a very beautiful way. And so when you read the Old Testament prophecies, sometimes you have trouble understanding them at first glance. But when you go through and you do a study of Scripture and you wrap your head around what Isaiah is really trying to communicate, it's actually quite a wonderful picture about the promises that we have been given through Messiah. Jesus, the son that has been given, the child that has been born. And the one thing that Isaiah talks about several times in this passage is the government of God. He talks about a new government. He talks about a child that is coming he, who was born to build a brand new government. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's a risky prophetic word. I don't know if you would think of that or not, but if you have somebody to prophesy, stand up and say, there's somebody coming and he's going to install a new government. Imagine how that would go over today. You know what I'm saying? You might get arrested. Okay, so don't think that this is docile. This is a risky prophetic word about a new government that's going to be installed with the forthcoming Messiah. Now, this government is what we refer to today as the kingdom of God. This is what Isaiah prophesied about, but this is also what Christ came to invite people into. Can you remember the first sermon that Jesus ever preached? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He invites us to change our way of thinking so that we can step into a new government, which is a higher government. It's a greater way. It's a better way of living life. It's a government that if we will yield to it and submit to the reign of Messiah, that we will have a life that is abundant and livable. And so the government of God is where God reigns. It's God's realm. And the nature of the government of God is very different than the nature of most governments in modern day society. The nature of the government of God is this one thing that Isaiah harps on over and over throughout this passage, which is an atmosphere of peace. Think about the atmosphere of governments all over the world today. I think the last thing that we would put on the list is that it feels peaceful. 
You know what I mean? There's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's backbiting, there's division, there's party lines that are drawn, there's separation, there's arguments, there's mean-spirited comments. There's all these things that we witness today by turning on the news or Facebook or Twitter. But the nature of God's government when Messiah came would be absolutely different. The nature of God's government when Messiah comes is peace. That he would reign, that he would rule, that the nature of his government, that the atmosphere of his realm would be an atmosphere of peace. And we see that time and time again throughout the life of Jesus as he speaks to the storms. And he says, sit down and zip it. Storm. Right? He brings peace. I mean, after all, one of his designated names is the Prince of Peace, right? And this word peace, now, you know, we may say this word often. We may, you know, give a peace sign. You know, we may talk about peace. But what you have to understand about biblical peace is that the word itself is much bigger than our word. Hey, peace, man. Hey, peace, meaning the absence of conflict. A lot of times when we think of peace, that's what we're, that's what we're thinking of. It's, it's the absence of conflict. It means the drama is at a very low level, you know. We're not having very many problems. We're in a peaceful time. But the nature of peace, as God intends for us to experience it, is actually much larger than a simple absence of conflict in our lives. This word that Isaiah uses, which is a word you guys will all have heard before, is the Hebrew word shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom in the home. And, you know, a lot of times when we hear the word shalom, it's normally by observing, you know, two Jewish people passing one another. You know, it's a traditional Jewish greeting. I love the greeting shalom. Uh, I went to Brooklyn uh, a few months ago, and I didn't recognize it, but I stayed in the Jewish neighborhood. And so I look kind of Jewish. My beard was longer. I had on a hat. People were passing me by. Shalom. I'm like, not Jewish, but shalom. I received that peace, you know what I mean? And I love that because we say peace, Jewish people say peace. Shalom is the word. But shalom is more than a Jewish greeting. When you define shalom, you'll recognize that it does mean peace, but it also means completeness. Now that's a, that's a pretty cool word. Wholeness. It also means soundness, which is the condition of things being good. That's what being sound is, right? You know, whenever uh, God tells us that he did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a, that's a peaceful mind. That's a, that's a mind that's in good condition because you're submitted to the authority of the Prince of Peace. So you have peace because that's the natural byproduct of being reigned and ruled by the Messiah. And the last element of shalom is welfare. Actually, welfare, which we could, we could call that wealth. So to define shalom, maybe in some modern day vernacular, I might call it wholeness, health, and wealth. So when you hear people say shalom, what they're saying is, I bestow upon you a blessing of wholeness, health, and wealth. How many of you guys think that's good? That's an awesome blessing, huh? So whenever Jesus came as the Prince of Peace... He came as the ruler to provide his constituents, the citizens of his kingdom, 
with wholeness, health, and wealth. So that's actually the kingdom that you're a part of. It's a kingdom in which every single citizen, there is not one single person that is exempt within this kingdom that is provided free of cost, without tax, wholeness, health, and wealth. That is the kingdom of Messiah. That is the kingdom of Jesus. Messiah's government is shalom. So wherever he rules, there is an abundance that is freely available for all of humanity that will receive him. This is what Jesus came to do. But what is interesting about Isaiah's prophecy is that Isaiah doesn't prophesy that Jesus will one day do this when he grows up to the ripe old age of 30 and is mature and more wise. Isaiah declares that Jesus will begin his reign even as a baby. God loves to use the foolish things to confound the wise. And he says, from the very moment that my son is born, Messiah, the Christ, who is a child, he will begin a new government. Because he's not just the prince of peace, but he's been appointed to reign as the king of kings. This is a governmental designation. How many of you guys know that Jesus did not come simply to tweak our lives just a little bit to make us a little more effective and really moral people? That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to rule with zeal. Try preaching this to the principalities and powers. Right? This is why all of the people who wrote the New Testament that we read and observe and seek to obey on Sunday morning were all martyrs. Right? So we understand that the government of God that Christ came to establish was a radical challenge to the world as it is. It was not docile because, get this guys, peace is anything but passive. I'm going to try this side. Peace is anything but passive. Peace is not passive. Peace is a proactive participation in the government of God and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you preach this, it is a direct challenge to the world as it is. The government of God is this. Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is risky business to live life like this. To pledge allegiance to a different kingdom. It's not talking about leaving behind good citizenry. But it's talking about giving yourself completely to the Messiah. Giving yourself completely to Jesus Christ. And even from the time that he was a baby, he began to rule. And wise men came and bowed their knee to a baby. Wise men are still bowing their knee to a baby. And saying, Jesus, rule, reign, be my governor, be my prince, be my king. But you know who did not bow their knee to a baby? Herod. Herod refused. At the time of Jesus' birth, Herod was the head. 
He was the one that, it was, that was in charge. He was the current ruler. And he pretended that he wanted to worship Jesus, but really he wanted to murder him. Could I slip this in there? That there's a lot of people who pretend to want to worship Jesus as a means of self-protection and exerting their own control and will in leadership. Herod ordered that all the baby boys be killed in Jesus' neighborhood. Instead of worship, what he did was he made war. The very opposite of the way of Jesus. Because war is the way of the world. Violence and control and impatience is the way of the world. Violence, not peace, is the way and the rule of Herod and not Jesus. Violence is never the way. In Isaiah 9 and 5, I told you I was going to work backwards here, but Isaiah 9 and 5, it says that for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. See, guys, where Jesus reigns, violence is illegal. And I'm, I'm trying to, I don't want to be controversial. Okay, don't get me started up too much. But where Jesus reigns, violence is against the law. Where Jesus reigns, shalom reigns. Violence has no place there. In fact, war becomes irrelevant. Isaiah declares that where Jesus reigns, that actually war clothes have no use any longer. But they're used as fuel for the fire. So can you imagine a world of peace? Can you guys imagine with me just for a moment? Let's imagine a world of peace. Where the nations are so at peace that the soldiers take off their uniforms and burn them. Well, that's actually the world that Jesus came to invite us to imagine. That, that was 14% better and y'all said amen. So that is the world that Jesus came to invite us to imagine. Where are the creatives? Where are the prophets? Where are the artists? Where are the people who will do the work of imagining a better world? Who will take Jesus at his words and say the introduction of Messiah is the establishment of a new government. Where violence is no longer applicable. Where violence no longer is allowed. Well, guys, this is the kingdom of Jesus. Because what shalom means is public peace. His government is peace. This is not just personal peace. This is public peace. And what Jesus' government does when it comes is it abolishes violence. It abolishes oppression. It abolishes slavery. And it abolishes exploitation. Verse 9 and 4, it says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What the prophet Isaiah is doing is he's appealing to the imagination of the Hebrew people by reminding them of where they came from when they were enslaved and exploited by the Egyptians. And he's saying, remember that. That is what God is coming to deal with. And what that means for us today is that human trafficking 
is not allowed. Modern day slavery is not allowed. Systemic poverty is not allowed. Racism is not allowed. Rankism is not allowed. And every form of oppression and exploitation is finished. Jesus' government of peace puts an end to all of these things once and for all. Jesus' government comes to deal with how we treat one another, how we respond to one another, how we treat our workers, how we treat immigrants, and how we treat people who are impoverished. Somebody's with me. Shalom is public peace. It is undoubtedly social. So Isaiah 9 and 4, let me read it once more. For the yoke of the burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now verse 3, I'm working my way backwards. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So Jesus' government, what it does is it ends oppression. And when oppression ends, here's the thing that the Bible tells us happens. Joy increases, harvest happens, and a plunder is provided. That means the spoil of the oppressors become the joy of the oppressed. And, and he says, remember when you were enslaved? Remember when your forefathers, remember your heritage when you were enslaved to the Egyptians when you were exploited? Well, now at the arrival of the government of the Christ, there's going to be a new government installed and it's going to be like on the day of Midian. Now, the Hebrew people would have understood what this meant because to date, this was Israel's greatest victory. This was when God used Gideon, a very humble, small person. He raised him up and he knocked down his army so consistently until it was only 300 people so that then they would go on assignment and overcome in victory the army of Midian, which was 135,000 soldiers. So with a humble army of 300 God defeated an evil army of 135,000 soldiers. See, what Isaiah was doing and what God was doing as he worked his way through the story and history of Israel, which is one of the reasons why we read the Old Testament um, so diligently, is understanding the story of God through our you know, Hebrew forefathers. Gideon was a type of Messiah. So what that means is basically God raised up Gideon as a prophetic picture of what it would look like when Jesus came. And he said, I'm going to start with a humble man. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Herod's going to try and kill all of his brothers in the same neighborhood. He's going to be from the smallest clan, the the smallest village. He's going to come from humble beginnings. But I'm going to raise him up. And through a small army of believers, 12 disciples... I'm going to defeat a massive army. I'm going to confound the wise with a foolish strategy, but I will reign in victory. And when I reign in victory, a new government will be established. And this new government will go against the grain of culture. This new government will go against the predominant way of the world, which is violence. Which is oppression. Which is exploitation. Which is slavery. I'm going to to do a new thing. And this is awesome because Isaiah is able to preach this. And it's great even for us on Advent that I can preach this and say, hey, guys, look, a new government is here. A new government is here. Like, this, is, this is awesome, right? 
And uh, in the NIV, when you read this same passage of Scripture, it says the people who walked it. Oh, excuse me. Verse 3. Let me read verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors. Everybody say warriors. warriors. So here's the, here's the thing. The, the new government is here. But where are the new warriors? That's my question to you. Where are the new warriors? The new government is here, right? The new government's here. This new government of light is here. But, but where are the warriors? Verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. See, the people who once walked in darkness, everybody say, that's me. They are now the new warriors. These are the people of the light. We are the people of the light. We are people of peace. We are people of shalom. And shalom is not just public peace. Shalom is also personal peace. Because we have seen the light, not only should we fight for peace out there, but we should possess peace in here. We used to walk around in darkness, feeling our way around in our sin and in our death. But now that we've seen the light of Jesus, we now become people of peace. If we're going to see Christ's kingdom reign in the earth, we're going to have to first experience Christ's reign in our lives. A kingdom of peace can only be led by a people of peace who are led by the Prince of Peace. And because the Prince of Peace reigns in us as Christians, no longer will we be violent. No longer will we be aggressive. No longer will we be oppressive. No longer will we be impatient and try and take control of others. These new warriors, the people of the light, they are gentle, they are humble, they are loving, they are patient, they are kind, and they are honoring. Christ is the new Gideon, and we are the new 300. We may look around and think, we are outnumbered, but those ratios are the kind that God enjoys. God can take a little and do a whole lot. God can feed the 5,000 with the Long John Silver's kids meal. God can take 12 men and turn the world inside out and upside down, so much so that when they arrived on the shores of a foreign country, they looked around and said, are these those people that have turned the world upside down? With 120 in a humble beginning in Acts chapter two, in an upper room, God would give his Holy Spirit to just 120, which would give way to a revival that we're still experiencing today. A revival that would bleed out into the courtyard, in the gates, in Jerusalem, that would make a difference 2,000 years later for us, the new army, the new 300, that we might be inspired by the fact that there were less people in the upper room than there were in this room today. And yet they were able to accomplish an impossible assignment that was given to them by Jesus before he ascended to the Father. Without any physical flesh to lead them, he gave them the same spirit that he's given us. And he called us the same thing he called them, which is the new warriors, the people of peace, the people of shalom. So let me ask you again, if you know that the new government is here, where are the new warriors? Where are the people who will say, I have received personal peace 
Therefore, public peace must be made manifest in my lifetime. I can't sleep. I can't breathe my last. I can't die without making every effort to ensure that the government of God reigns upon the oppressed, reigns upon the lost, reigns upon the people in thick darkness, reigns upon the people who have been enslaved, reigns upon the people who have been exploited. Where are the warriors? Where are the people of Shalom? Where are the people of the light? It all starts by allowing peace to reign in your heart. And as you stand today, we're going to finish and pray. We're going to relinquish aggression. We're going to relinquish violence. We're going to relinquish oppression. We're going to relinquish impatience. We're going to relinquish control. Because guys, listen, we don't need control. We have a prince that reigns supreme who brings peace to our life. He makes us to lie down in green pastures, right? That's a good thing because I don't like to be made to do anything. But if it was up to me, I would spend all my time running, ripping, roaring, trying to do something for God. And forgetting about the fact that I have a shepherd that reigns with peace. That makes me to lie down. And says, I shall not want. You know why we shall not want? Because we have already received abundance. Because we already have what we need. To see the new government of God reign, not only in our lives, but through our lives. So what I want to ask you, just close your eyes, bow your head as we're closing, please. And if you're in here today and you're like, man, my world is tumultuous. It's just crazy right now. And you're lost and you're far from God and you're not connected to Jesus today and you know you need to come home and Submit yourself to a different kingdom. I just want you to lift your hand right now. If you want to get saved today, if you want to get set free today, if you want to be delivered today, I just want you to unashamedly and quickly just lift your hand right now. We're going to pray for you. Awesome. See one hand there. Awesome. Anyone else? Just... Receive it. Lord, right now we receive Jesus. And we receive the reign of the Prince of Peace in our heart. Now, and for some of you guys right now, I feel like, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to lift your hand for salvation, but I just, I'm asking the community as a whole, as a family, for us just now to lift our heads and lift our hands unto Jesus. Just for a moment, if you feel comfortable, lift your hands and just let the peace of God reign in your heart. Some of you guys will even feel it on your chest. It'll almost be like warmth. Maybe heaviness like a, and we've been doing that all day. But I, I feel like there's a rain and there's a peace that's just going to drench your heart. It's gonna, just going to drench your mind. And as it comes like a river with a strong current that just flows through you, just flows through you, just let the current take aggression. If you've been struggling with aggression, <clears throat> where you, you grit your teeth and you get hot and you get angry and you get mad, just let, let that river just take aggression. Let it take it away from you. If you're struggling with control and you feel like you always have to just, you know, dominate other people or else you're not going to get your way, just let the river take that control as well. And impatience, if you always got to figure out your plan and you struggle to let God's timing uh, just happen, just let that go in the river as well. Just receive that peace. So all together, let's just say, Prince of Peace, rule 
reign in me. Prince of peace, rule and reign through me. Open my eyes to see the places that I can release your government. Your peace in Jesus' name. Now just put your hand on your heart. It's like a Simon Says thing. This is fun. And just say, Shalom. Isn't that good? Shalom. Awesome. Well, as we're dismissed today, I want to invite you to find about five people, maybe 15 or 20. But just hug them and and hold them till it's awkward, as long as it's appropriate. If you don't know them, don't do that. But um, if you know them, and, and just... Just tell them, say, shalom, peace.